Good morning. I'm glad to see you all here. You're the bunch that got up early and figured out there was more snow than they told us about yesterday. And uh, you get the grand prize. We get, we get to enjoy each other today. Uh, this morning we're starting a new series that's going to take us through February and, and March, I believe. And we're going to be focusing on some unusual people. Often they are the people who are not the primary characters that everybody who's ever read part of the Bible knows and understands, but we're going to be looking at some extraordinary impact that comes from ordinary people that we meet in, in the Scriptures. So today uh, we're going to be reading from 2 Samuel chapter 9, first 13 verses. And the character that we're going to be looking at is uh, a little person called Mephibosheth. When's the last time you said that name? Mephibosheth, uh, but by the end of today, hopefully you'll be more familiar with his name. This is verse 1, 1 Samuel chapter 9. David, King David that is, asked, Is there anyone still left of the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of Saul's household named Ziba. They summoned him to appear before David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? At your service, he replied. The king asked, Is there still no one left of the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both legs. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, He is at the house of Maker, son of Amiel, in Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Maker, son of Amiel, when Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandsons may be provided for. And Mephibosheth, grandson of your master, will always eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever my lord the king commands his servant to do. So Mephibosheth ate at, the, at David's table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son named Mekah, and all the members of Ziba's household were servants of Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. He was lame in both feet. Let's stop and pray for a moment. Lord, give us understanding of the Bible every time we open it together and we mull over its meaning and its significance in our lives. I also pray that you would open our hearts so that we not only understand, but if there are principles you want us to learn and then apply, that we would have the heart to do that. We are your people, and we want to be open to the ways that you are guiding us and leading us. We live in a challenging time. We're still uh, two years into this uh, pandemic that seems to be receding. Lord, we pray that it would uh, recede all the way 
We pray for those who are struggling with health. It seems like there are revolving cycles that folks get caught in with this. We also look at the international stage where there's the threat of war in the Ukraine and there are challenging times. And we think of uh, the, the Olympics in China. And Lord, every time I watch the Olympics, I think of the Christians whose stories are muzzled in this time or the, the Uyghur Muslims who have been persecuted and virtually eliminated. We pray for pr- peace and sanity. And we pray for freedom for all, not just for us. We also pray that you would give us the wisdom to know how to navigate each and every day with the challenges that are thrown at us more directly. Help us to live as your children who really believe that we have a seat at the table of the King and who are heard and listened to and valued. And help us to treat others that way as well. So guide us in this time that we have this morning. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I recently read an article that focused on how Charles Lindbergh is so often remembered as the first person to cross the Atlantic by flight. He did this on May 21st, 1927. Except he is not. British pilots John Alcock and Arthur Brown completed the feat some eight years before Lindbergh did. They flew from Newfoundland, Canada to Ireland. Lindbergh, it appears, was not the first or even the second He was the 19th, yet Lindbergh has the distinction of completing his trip as a solo flight. That was the one thing that he did first. And he traveled from New York to Paris, where his feet was covered breathlessly by the press in two of the largest cities in the world. So the New York Times coverage in 1927 never mentioned these earlier flyers who had already accomplished the feat of transatlantic flight, while Lindbergh today is often regarded as the first one to complete transatlantic flight. The article notes that the National Geographic repeated this error as recently as 2013 and then in embarrassment had to publish a retraction. It wasn't that these other flyers never existed, it's just that Lindbergh's story ending in Paris at the height of the Jazz Age seemed to be a better story and so it's the one that takes hold. Think about this, we are often drawn to better stories. Yet sometimes our preoccupation with those deemed to be the better stories causes us to miss out on important stories that occur to people who history has forgotten. When you think of people who've been forgotten by history or because of popular stories, more popular stories, who or what comes to mind? Well, I, I bring this up this morning because we're beginning a new series that looks at ordinary people from the Bible who had an extraordinary impact, even though the information on each one is rather slim. My hope is that each one will present a value to uphold, or that we will see in a fresh way that ordinary people can have extraordinary impact today when the Lord enters the equation. I believe that every one of you, no matter how ordinary we think we are, in the hands of God, under the inspiration of the Lord, can still have an extraordinary impact on the people around us. So welcome to North River Church this morning. I love being here with our church family, and I'm glad that you are part of the North River Church family today. What makes us a family? You might wonder that. Well, shared convictions, shared belief. Most of all, our identity comes as family who are adopted into the family of God by faith. And so we see ourselves as children of God who belong to the Lord's own family. So welcome. Welcome. 
Welcome to all of you who are watching online today as well. For now, you feel safer at home and we honor that. Or today, maybe you just didn't want to deal with the couple inches of snow on your car that you weren't expecting. Or you've moved farther away than a short drive allows. Every month, it seems, around here, we're meeting people who have found us from our website, our online streaming, from Facebook Live or YouTube or Vimeo, and they watch online for a few months and then decide that it's time to make their way here and to enter the worship center with us in person. So I I love to see how this streaming has become the new front door of North River Church, and I also want to thank you for prioritizing the time and for being a part of this. Let me offer an encouragement to our whole church family. We are all tired of the disruptions that we've been experiencing. We're all feeling some form of exhaustion and frustration that comes from changing standards, lack of confidence in what following the science comes to mean. It's different from what I thought it meant six months ago. And from leaders who tend to say one thing and do another. We're also tired of being pitted against each other. So let's agree on this. North River is one place where we can all come together in our single pursuit of following Jesus. And let's hold ourselves individually to high standards while we give everybody else grace. The grace to move forward, the grace to keep in step with Jesus, the grace to keep learning no matter where we start. Part one of this series that looks at ordinary people and extraordinary impact is called A Place at the Table. Let me walk you through what I've been discovering this week as I've been thinking about Mephibosheth, one of those forgotten people in the Bible. The first thought is, uh, has to do with becoming Mephibosheth. There's a popular book out, Becoming Michelle, by Michelle Obama. We're not talking about her this morning, but uh, if you can adopt this name, Mephibosheth, Becoming Mephibosheth, how did that happen? 2 Samuel chapter 4 has one insightful verse that tells us about the earliest part of Mephibosheth's life. Jonathan, son of Saul, had a son who was lame in both feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. So we'll have to unpack that. His nurse picked him up and fled, but as she hurried to leave, she fell, uh, he fell and became disabled. His name was Mephibosheth. As I mentioned before, Mephibosheth is one of the forgotten people of the Bible. Most people are not that aware of him, let alone how to say his name. Say Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth three times fast and you'll know why. His father, though, was Jonathan, the, one of the sons of Israel's first king, King Saul. Jonathan was a brave battle captain and he was David's closest friend. Jonathan was a prince of Israel and a fearless warrior. Mephibosheth is only mentioned a handful of times in the Old Testament. Twice he is referred to by his birth name, which is different, Merib Baal, which means he opposes Baal, the idol god that some of the nations around Israel worshipped. The idea behind that name is that Jonathan wanted his son to be known for his faithfulness to the Creator God, the God of Israel, who triumphs over Baal. Mephibosheth, the name that he came to be known by and that he's most often known by in the Bible, means something different though. It means son of shame. Finding out why his name was changed to son of shame is the puzzle that we must solve. Our best clue comes from this one verse in 2 Samuel 4 verse 4. The scene took place on the day when King Saul and Prince Jonathan both died in battle. 
Jonathan had enjoyed lifelong friendship with David, and David was the anointed king, and Saul was the reigning king, and all this was a bit confusing, and it created tension in the air. When the news from the battle in Jezreel about the death of Saul and Jonathan arrived in Saul's capital city of Gibeah, panic set in. And so a nurse who was assigned to care for the five-year-old son of Jonathan scooped him up and then fell, dropping the boy. We don't know exactly what the accident was or what the injury was. One Bible commentator imagined that she ran out in front of a chariot. The truth is we don't know exactly what happened, but the boy became disabled in both legs, hopelessly broken, perhaps paralyzed in a lifelong way. Political insecurity contributed to the way the boy was forgotten. For the first two years after Saul died, Israel was split into two kingdoms. Most people think of Saul being the first king and David being the second king, but that's not exactly accurate because there was one son of King Saul who was still living. His name was Ishbosheth, another hard-to-pronounce name. But, but for two years, he ruled over a part of Israel, and David had a smaller part of Israel, and there were two kingdoms that were beginning to grow side by side. David had been anointed by Samuel years before as the king that the Lord had chosen to follow David, but Saul had wanted to set up his own dynasty and hoped that his sons would follow him. And so the, the political leaders and the entourage that was around Saul, they set up Saul's one remaining son, Ishbosheth, to continue on on his throne. This is how people become forgotten by a community or by a culture or by a history. The boy's father and grandfather were killed in battle. In the trauma of that day, the boy became severely injured the only remaining uncle who might have looked after him was consumed by a civil war. This combination of trauma, injury, and family insecurity effectively buried Mephibosheth. People weren't sure what to do with him, whether it was safe for him to be around or not. This child of the past controversial king would be hidden in a place that was known as Lodabar, now, sometimes we think that all these names in the Old Testament don't really mean anything. But this was an interesting one. Lodabar, the name of the town where Mephibosheth was hiding out, literally means in Hebrew, not established. Who would go looking for a child whose name had become son of shame in a town that was so podunk that the town's, literally, the town's name literally meant not established? And for years and years, Mephibosheth was hiding and tucked away in Lodabar, this nondescript place. I wonder as I think about this, how many other people with special needs or who'd gone through some traumatic injury fade into obscurity due to trauma, injury, or family insecurity? How many fade into their own Lodabar, hidden from sight and tucked away? So, becoming Mephibosheth is the question we've answered so far. It's, it's a name that was given to him after the shame of seeing his father and his grandfather die, the kingdom taken away from his family, and he was tucked away after this injury in a quiet, nondescript place. And then we see David's key question, though, that turns everything around. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, we find David answering this question. It says, And David asked, Is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? 
This question from King David was motivated by kindness and by a covenant that he'd made with his friend Jonathan. This tells us something about the heart of King David. Years had gone by. David had finished securing all of Israel's borders, but he never forgot the bond that he had with this great friend, Jonathan. They, they were the two foremost army captains who led battles under the days of King Saul and protected the borders of Israel. David had been victorious as the king over all of Israel's enemies in battle, but he was not focused in this moment on himself. With the battles over, David's thoughts turned toward his deceased friend Jonathan and his household. And he wondered, is there anyone left from King Saul's family to whom I can show kindness? What a great question. Now, that might seem odd to you because some of you know that King Saul chased after David, wanted to kill David, was very jealous of David's fame. And yet, David was also part of the family of Saul. He'd married one of Saul's daughters, and and Jonathan had become his best friend, and the two of them had a greater bond that even surpassed Jonathan's loyalty to his own father. And so when David was being pursued by Saul, it was Jonathan who would let him know whether it was safe to come out of hiding or not. And he asked this question, is there anyone left to whom I can show kindness? This particular question turned the spotlight for the moment toward Mephibosheth. Someone remembered King Saul's chief steward, Ziba, who had looked after Saul's estate, and they they brought him to Jerusalem, where David was now reigning in this new capital city. And when he was summoned there before David, he told David that there was one from Jonathan's family still alive, the young man Mephibosheth. He was hiding out at the home of Maker, the son of Amiel, in this nondescript place, Lodabar. He was safe and secluded in this non-established Podunkville. So David, king of Israel, summons Mephibosheth. Imagine what's going through Mephibosheth's thoughts. Why all of a sudden have I been brought out of the shadows and into the limelight? Is this a good thing? Is this a treacherous thing? Is David going to show kindness to me? Does David want to wipe out the last vestige of Saul's family? What's going to happen here? And so there was more tension in the air. When he sees him, Mephibosheth bows down low before King David. And David calls out in a loud voice, Mephibosheth! You still don't know from that what that means. Is this an encouraging greeting? Is this a greeting of somebody who's about to come down on him? And Mephibosheth responds, at your service. Do you see the power differential that was at work here? And then one act changed everything for Mephibosheth. David makes three promises to Mephibosheth. First, that he will show him kindness because of the covenant that he had made with Jonathan, his father. Second, David will restore to Mephibosheth all the land that belonged to his grandfather, King Saul. This is a large sum of land. All of a sudden, Mephibosheth is going to go from somebody who's hiding out in a nondescript village to somebody who's wealthy and has an estate. Most importantly, David says he would provide a place at his table for the rest of Mephibosheth's life. And so Ziba, who had been the steward of Saul's household and his estate, was appointed to care for Mephibosheth's estate. And he and all of his sons and grandsons would have a place there under the protection of Mephibosheth. 
And just like that, Mephibosheth went from lost to found, from forgotten to favored. So here's the big idea that I, that I wanted to get across this morning, that I boiled this down to. Providing people with special needs a place at the table is an expression of God's covenantal love. David is mirroring something about the heart of God with the way that he responds to this young man who is lame in both legs, Mephibosheth. But there's more to the story. Not only did David restore all these things to Mephibosheth for the sake of his covenant with Jonathan, David rescued him from abuse and betrayal. About 10 chapters later in the book of 2 Samuel in chapter 19, we read these words, when he came from Jerusalem to meet the king, the king asked him, why didn't you go with me, Mephibosheth? He said, my lord, the king, since I, your servant, am lame, I said, I will have my donkey saddled and will ride on it so I can go with the king. But Ziba, my servant, betrayed me, and he slandered your servant to my lord, the king. What was going on? Years later, when David was older, his son Absalom tried to complete a palace coup. He wanted to steal the kingdom from David, and he created a rebellion, and the rebellion was so great that David and his entourage had to flee Jerusalem in shame. All of those who were close to David went with him and fled the palace, except Mephibosheth. It turns out that Mephibosheth's servant, Ziba, had loaded several donkeys with food and wine. And Ziba explained that these resources were for David and his followers. When David asked, where was Mephibosheth? Why hadn't he come with Ziba? Why wasn't he also escaping Jerusalem with the rest of them? Ziba lied. And he made up a story that Mephibosheth had gone over to David's son, Absalom, and had become part of Absalom's regime. He said that Mephibosheth had sided with Absalom and had identified with the rebellion. On the spot, David gave full custody of all of Saul's estate to Ziba, and Mephibosheth would be left destitute. And David was brokenhearted with this news that Mephibosheth had betrayed him. Given this presentation, Ziba had abused his role and victimized Mephibosheth. And David believed the lie. Now, when the rebellion was put down and Absalom had died, Mephibosheth came to meet the returning king as David returned to Jerusalem with all the soldiers that had gone with him. During that time, Mephibosheth had become a wreck. He'd, he'd not groomed himself. He'd, he'd not cared for his feet in all that time. And David asked him, after he summoned him, why Mephibosheth had not come with him. And Mephibosheth explained the whole story and how Ziba had lied. All that Mephibosheth really wanted, all that he cared about, was to be in David's good graces. All of a sudden, this had become a he said, he said affair. There were two competing stories, two competing narratives, and David had to figure out which one was telling the truth. Had Ziba told the truth in the first place and Mephibosheth had gone over to Absalom, or had Ziba lied and Mephibosheth been taken advantage of? There was no evidence that told David who to believe. It was just two competing stories. David knew that Ziba could not be trusted to provide services for Mephibosheth again. And so what he did was he divided up Saul's land between the two of them. But he restored Mephibosheth to that place of honor by saying, 
there will always be a place for you at the king's table. Okay, what do we do about an old story like this with uh, an often forgotten narrative? There are lessons for us, for we too serve a king. Our king is greater than King David, but David mirrors something in the heart of our king, the Lord God, the creator of the universe, and Jesus as well. And I'd like to point out four values that flow from this story that apply to us today. Here's the first. We show kindness to people with special needs because our king loves all. Second, Providing a place at the table becomes an important value in an unending way. Years ago, we made a decision here at North River that people with special needs and disabilities are always welcome here. I'm aware that there are churches that don't allow any voices that could possibly distract or or cry out or make noise in the midst of the worship center. The thought from churches that do that is the idea that God is at work here. We don't want to let anything disrupt what's happening during the delivery of the message. We thought about that. There's an unintended uh, message that goes along with a decision like that, which is that those of us who are adults and who have uh, functioning capacities are somehow more important than those who are struggling or those who are disabled in some way. And it sends a message to those families that we pick and choose among, choose among the family members about which ones are most important to us. And so we chose to believe that God works among families of those who seek a place at the table for the entire family. And we've learned to welcome enroll with the humor and the unplanned contributions that come from our special friends. I have learned for myself that if I roll with the unexpected voices and sometimes unexpected noises or humor that comes from making a place at the table from our, for our special needs friends, that the rest of the congregation rolls with it too. And if I learn to laugh at some of the unexpected moments in our services, that we all kind of lighten up and take ourselves less seriously as well. I told Emily Colson one time that we gave up on perfect and God gave us something better. There's been a joy that has emerged over the last several years here at North River as we have made room at the table for our special needs friends. Some of you know the people that I'm talking about. Uh, that includes, for instance, Andrew. Andrew is one of my friends with autism, and often he would sit right over here in the back, and he would imitate my hand gestures during the message, and all the people who were sitting behind him were aware of this, and perfectly, he got down all of my hand motions, and he knew what was going to happen before I did. And it became marvelous to watch, because Andrew, who's a young man of very few words, was nonetheless participating in the way that His body and his mind allowed him to process what was going on here, and he brought joy to this service. Or you've become accustomed to Max, who will probably be here today at the 11 o'clock service, dancing in the booth and sometimes dancing up the aisles because he's so filled with joy at being able to be in the worship center. But I remember the days when that wasn't so true. Max would have to stand outside because with his autism, there were too many inputs that were happening and it was overwhelming for him. And so for years, he and his mom would stay at home and they felt trapped and unable to come to something like this. 
And then they started to figure out a new pathway, and they'd come and they'd stand at the back door during the final song of the service. They called it Backward Church. They'd come for the end because Max could take that, and he could stand at the back door as the last song was beginning to play. And then he would enter the congregation as all the people were milling about because he loved all that excitement. But what he really came for was happened next after the 11 o'clock church. He wanted to be part of the team that would stack the chairs And if you can imagine, he'd draw his grandfather, Chuck Colson, when they would visit, into becoming uh, the guy who would vacuum the floors and stack the chairs because that's what Max loved to do, and Chuck wanted to be where Max was. It includes our friend who's often here at the 11 o'clock service who sometimes walks around in circles and sometimes cries out. His name is Kyle, and Kyle is loved in this place. And Kyle is expressing the the frustration that he has with not knowing what to do with all of this energy as there are so many inputs that come to him when he sits with his family in a service. But there's a place for Kyle at this table as well. So we show kindness to people with special needs because our king loves all of us. Second, we provide a place at the table and we see that as an important value here that we all come to embrace. And I need you sometimes to communicate that because we don't teach about that on a regular basis. What we're doing today is unusual. But when your friends come in and they're new and they see some of this stuff happening, they need a quick whisper for somebody to bring them up to speed on what's going on and why we love these folks and why we just roll with it and why we love the humor. I'll never forget the Sunday when uh, all of a sudden impromptu as I'm walking up to, you know, with my, my pulpit here to begin the message, Max calls out from the booth in his Ed McMahon voice, here's Paul Atwater. And I don't know why, but it was hilarious and we loved it. It also means though we're on guard watching for those who would take advantage It is fascinating to see here in this story of Mephibosheth that not only does David adopt him and treat him as a family member, but there's another who should have known better who uses the situation in order to abuse and to power up on Mephibosheth. How often does that happen in the special needs community where there's somebody who should know better who misuses their proximity? And fourth. The fourth lesson is that we're always looking for opportunities to serve the poor, the homeless, and those with special needs. It's one of the things that we've been praying about as a staff during the last two years as a number of ways of serving the larger outside community were were shut down. We've been looking for what is God doing in the midst of all of this? And so I was delighted when a few months ago, uh, Amy Lynch brought forward this recess idea that she's beginning to train people for where, you know, one Saturday a month, they're going to provide a, a few hours of respite care for special needs people so their folks can drop them off here and they can be loved on while their folks go and do shopping and whatever else that they need to do on those days. Providing people with special needs a place at the table is an expression of God's covenantal love. Now, with that last point in mind about looking for new ways, new opportunities, our staff, as I mentioned, has been praying for new ways to serve the larger community and looking out for what God is doing. Elevate, our high school ministry, has come up with a way to serve the needy in Boston, specifically the homeless in Boston. And this is by partnering with an organization called City Reach. 
Right now, I'm going to invite Jesse Carvalho and David Sumner, who are two of our much-loved high school students, to come and tell us a little bit about this opportunity. David, Jesse. Good morning, North River. My name is David Sumner. My name is Jessica Carvalho. Jesse and I are part of the student leadership team for Elevate, and we are here to talk to you this morning about a service project we're doing on April 29th and April 30th. As many of you know, homelessness affects hundreds of people in the Boston area, and on April 29th and 30th, we will be working with an organization called Common Cathedral and taking part in their City Reach project. City Reach includes an evening of training and preparation and then a day of service. According to the Common Cathedral, it gives young people and adults a chance to learn about homelessness from people who've experienced it. At City Reach, we will participate in their ministry with poor and homeless people by learning from unhoused mentors, offering hospitality, including food and clothing, to guests on Saturday morning by reflecting on our experiences at the end of the day. We're here to invite you to step into ministry with us this morning. There are two ways we are looking to invite you to partner with us. First, we invite you to join us on the 29th and the 30th. We would love to have any members of the congregation, 8th grade and up, who are interested to sign up and carry out this ministry with us. There is a cost of $70 to participate, which goes to Common Cathedral's ministry. But we hope to do some fundraising to bring that amount down. The second way that you can partner with us is by contributing to the clothing drive that we're holding for this project. We are looking to collect good condition adult clothing, coats, sleeping bags, and new socks and underwear. We will be distributing these items as part of our service on Saturday the 30th. We believe that every Christian is called to do something to carry out the love of Jesus in the world, to be his hands and his feet. If you think this might be a way he is calling you to do that, we'd love to partner with you in this ministry. You can sign up for CityReach at northriverchurch.org events. Or if you'd like more information, you can talk to David or I or Pastor Christy after the service. Thank you. Good job, guys. Good job. So if you were to choose to be a part of... You guys got to turn me back on. There we go. If you were to choose to uh, be a part of that 29th and 30th on April, I think that there's a Friday night training... And then early Saturday morning, they go into Boston very early. They've got to be there at 7 o'clock in the morning. And there's going to be a, an opportunity to uh, be educated by part of the City Reach team and then going out and feeding some of the homeless folks that this particular ministry group has, has been working with over time. Let's pray about all this. Father God, we ask that you would continue to make us wise in terms of understanding the Scriptures and how we live and that you would also give us hearts to respond in ways that uh, you open up before us. Sometimes you do that all around our own families and our neighborhoods, and sometimes you do that by providing new opportunities that force us to get out of our comfort zone. So I pray that you will bless our high school ministry as they lead the way on this, and for those others who choose to join them. And uh, we ask that you would keep opening doors for us at North River to show the love of Christ in surprising ways. I also ask that you will have an impact with all of us where you do extraordinary things through ordinary people like us. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name.